0: How many of you have finished your Christmas shopping? Raise your hand. Three of you, okay, good for you. We're proud of you, that's really great. How many of you, like me, wait till the very, very end? Raise your hand, okay. Yeah, that's a little more, a little more common. I actually had heard that the London Times got it right a few years ago when British, British psychologist David Lewis decided to do an experiment in the London shopping centers. He wanted to see the difference between the stress on men while shopping versus the stress on women when it comes to Christmas shopping. So he conducted this survey of some kind in the shopping malls of London where men from the ages of 22 to 79 were shopping. And he was testing their stress level, uh, particularly this couple of days before Christmas. So they measured their blood pressure of the men. Well, the study found that the men's blood pressure in this kind of environment began to approach the same as that of a fighter pilot in combat. All because they were Christmas shopping in a mall at the very end. And then, for contrast, he took the blood pressure of women... Uh, in the same scenario the last couple of days, and almost every woman's blood pressure was completely normal after shopping the entire time. That tells us one thing, women know how to do this better than men. Am I telling the truth? Ladies, are you with me this morning? That's why, at the manger, we really needed not three wise men, but three wise women at the manger. Because if the story had included three wise women, here's what we know would have happened. Number one, they would have not been, had any problem asking for directions on how to get to the manger. That would have been fine. They would have not arrived with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but they would have showed up with a baby outfit for Jesus, formula, diapers, and plenty of baby wipes. They would have come with a casserole. They would have cleaned up the manger, and they would have gotten everything in order on that night. How many women agree with me this morning? All right. The women know how to do Christmas, and they know how to do the shopping thing for sure. How many of you during this season particularly watch or enjoy christmas movies would you raise your hand if you watch or enjoy christmas movies i have to admit that i am not much of a movie watcher because the problem is i can't stay awake as soon as i lay back and relax and supposedly watching this movie uh, the thing you'll hear becky say most often is are you still awake are you still awake because i fall asleep way too quickly but some time ago I'm not sure exactly when. Becky discovered the Hallmark Channel. Anybody watch the Hallmark Channel at all? Okay. And most evenings, when she gets home from work during this season, she's going to find, eventually, find her way to the recliner, and she's going to lean back to enjoy a Christmas movie on that Hallmark Channel. And I may not be sitting down with her to watch it with her because I'll fall asleep. But it is playing in the house, and so I can hear it. Um, and, I, and I'm not totally oblivious to, you know, to what's going on. I, most particularly, I pay attention to the, the music, the, what they call the underscore uh, music that's, uh, that's going on. I'm listening to how it's crafted. I'm listening to what tools the orchestrator has used to create the desired attitude and atmosphere or the desired mood that they're going for and the instrumentation involved and, and what chord progressions were used, all, just all of the mechanics of that sort, that, that catches my attention. And so though my participation may be from uh, afar, I am clued in enough to have picked up on some the common theme that seems to be in all of these Christmas movies that my wife watches. And it dawned on me here recently that, I, that it's a theme that I actually think transcends Christmas. It, it's actually um, a cultural theme that we have embraced and our society has embraced today. And not only have we embraced it, we seem to very much like it. And for the sake of my discussion with you this morning, let me label this theme for you. And I, I think if you've ever watched any of these, any of these movies I speak of, you, you'll understand this is kind of the theme. And it goes like this. Do good feel good, believe in good. Am I right? Do good, feel good, believe in good. And most all of the Christmas movies seem to be wrapped around this theme, the the theme of doing good in this season and and then uh, then feeling good about doing good and then the belief in good, that love always works out, that uh, belief in Santa, belief in, in family, and all of these good things. And, and I'm going to suggest that it's not just these movies that carry this theme of do good, feel good, belief in good, but it also is, seems to be the religion of our culture. Let me give it a, another name of what it seems to really be known as. It's what some have called moralistic, do good, therapeutic, feel good, Deism, a belief in God. Moralistic, therapeutic deism, and for many people, that is the sum of what they believe. They believe if I will be a good person, then I can feel good about myself, and I believe in the good of this world, that love can work out, that family is everything, and that if you believe or if you have faith, that's enough. But the question then becomes, faith in what? Faith in what? And from my simple observation of these movies, albeit from a distance, it appears to me that almost every one of these Christmas movies has this belief in the good of mankind and that... um, even in the midst of a world where there are certainly plenty of bad people, yet good can be found and you can be a good person. And as bad as I really don't want to burst your bubble this morning, I've got to be honest with you that what I find so ironic about this thought as it as it is uh, uh, projected on our Christmas season and that's this. That is completely the opposite message of the birth of Christ. It's the opposite message. Jesus really had nothing to do with do good, feel good, belief in good. In fact, he came with a completely different message. Luke chapter two, which was already presented to us in the Advent presentation this morning, is the classic announcement of the birth of Christ to which we rightfully return every, uh, every Christmas. And we probably should be reminded every year, if we're not, we should be, that Luke was a doctor, which gave him a certain penchant for details. I believe he was a detailed person. Um, He certainly gives us plenty of details uh, about the birth of Christ, things like who the ruling authority was at the time and where this glorious event took place. And so why does he give us all these details? I think it's because he wants us to know that this birth of Christ was an historic reality. In other words, this is not a fairy tale, this thing we call Christmas. It's not some mystical, uh, magical thing. It's something that happened that is real. He seems to almost be going out of his way to make sure that we know this was real life. Now the church calendar directs us annually to these familiar passages that we know so well. But I'm going to tell you, I think there seems to be a need to to take a step back from the sentimentality that we have attached to this season, particularly as it comes to the nativity scene. Now, I know We all know the story by rote. We probably could have quoted the scripture that was read this morning from from memory. It's been written on our hearts since we were children. We've heard the story over and over and over. And because it's intensely familiar to us, we can very easily miss the important reality that is embedded in this story. So how do we approach that? How do we talk about that? Is it okay to talk about that? Well, I'm going to propose that, that I think it's okay to take a healthy step back and ask questions like, so what, what's, what's really so great about the birth of Christ? Why does this, uh, this thing we celebrate so profoundly, why does it get so much focus from everyone every year? And uh, frankly, the simplest of all is, why is it such a big deal? Well, I want to walk through that this morning, through this Luke 2 that we've already heard. In order to understand what really is so great about Christmas, I think we have to look at this announcement, which we see in Luke 2, beginning in verse number 8. Follow me as I go through it with you. Now, they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were slightly disturbed by that. Is that what it says? What does it say? Okay, that was a very soft response. I'm old and deaf. They were what? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Then the angel said to them, so don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news, or good tidings. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Can you say that? Good news... great joy joy. to who you bring what good news of to all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord and this will be the sign unto you you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude now of the heavenly host praising God and saying, In Bethesda, I'm going to ask you to exuberantly and passionately quote this last verse from you. Verse 14, which says, Glory to God. On the ice, and on earth, peace, for him. This is the word of the Lord. This is the announcement, the first invitation that God made pertaining to the birth of Christ. God shows up to angels, to shepherds through an angel, and God's glory appears to these men in, in a field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, you and I know that this is a great thing that happened. But let's go quickly through this passage and, and basically look at it through this lens which says, why is this so great? Well, we've known it all our life, but why, why is this so great? Well, the first thing we see here is that the greatness of the birth of Christ is the good news of grace. Would you say that for me, please? That's why it's great. Notice what the angel said to the shepherds in verse 10. Then the angel said to the shepherds, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. You know why that's significant, Right? You, you, you get it. These are shepherds. Mm-hmm. Well, shepherds were essentially outcasts of society in many ways. It was probably the lowest of the low-level job that was available. If you couldn't get any other kind of job. If you had no other skills, nothing else you could do, then you became a shepherd. Shepherds were often excluded from uh, even religious gatherings because they were the least of society. And here, at the announcement of the birth of Christ, God chooses that group to be the first to hear about it. The first to hear. The first to hear. I don't think that's an accident. I think it's on purpose. Two weeks ago, I preached in the Swahili service that we have here um, at Bethesda last week, the Burmese service. But two weeks ago, the Swahili service. And it so happened that uh, a year ago, right about now, it was also when I was speaking to the Swahili speaking group. And at the end of that service, I hadn't planned on it. I just said, hey, let me tell you what the theme a Beth- for Bethesda the kind of the word that sits over us what the theme is going to be for 2020 this this past year does anybody remember what that theme is more and more yes and so I gave them that news more and more and they applauded politely that was I thought that was nice and then I said this I said now don't tell anybody Because you're the first group that's been that has heard that theme. The English congregation hasn't heard it. The Spanish congregation hasn't. Nobody else. You are the first. Oh my goodness. They lit up and they danced and they shouted and then they screamed and carried on because they were the first to hear. And I realized that mattered. It mattered to them. So much so that this year, when I was scheduled to go back, which was a couple of weeks ago, to speak to that group, one of their leadership contacted me, and they said, Pastor Dan, uh, have, have you decided what the theme is going to be for Bethesda for 2021? I said, yes, the pastoral team has met and concluded. We've prayed over this, and we've spent quite, actually quite a bit of time working this out. And he said, is there any chance you can let us be the first to hear it again this year? And so I did. So two weeks ago, they heard the theme for 2021. Would you like to know what it is? I'll tell you in a couple of weeks when it's your turn, okay? Being the first to hear probably has more significance than we, we realize. In Luke's account of the birth of Christ, right after he records the fact that Christ was born, he puts the shepherds right up front, and why? Because I believe he wants to un- us to understand that the greatness of the birth of Christ is that it is a message of grace. You see, much of our society believes in the do good, feel good, believe in good kind of religion, and, and it's really just kind of like Santa Claus. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not I'm telling you why, because Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're... Are you ashamed to admit that you know this song? He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been... So you better be good, for goodness sake. Now, as uh, first service, I got to that point, be good. They sang it. They sang the end of the, <laughs> the song, which was very sweet. Okay, Um as silly as this seems to even make such a ridiculous comparison, it strikes me that many of us, many in our community today, they feel that same thing when it comes to God. He knows when you've been bad, he, and, and he knows if you've been good, and so you better be good. And I, I think that when the baby Jesus first arrives and the announcement is given to the shepherds first, I think it was on purpose. I think it was intentional. I think it's because he wanted us to know that the least deserving, hello, I think especially the least deserving are the very ones he came for. Is anybody thankful for that today? And so what is so great about the birth of Christ? Well, it is the good news of grace. And that is exactly what the angels proclaim. Now, we're not confused in this room about what grace is. We, we know what it is. It's, it's receiving what we do not deserve. As opposed to mercy, meaning we don't receive what we should have gotten. That's mercy. Grace is receiving what we do not deserve. And while everything around this season seems to be about this idea of do good and feel good about yourself... Can I just give it to you straight this morning? That's not the Christmas message. The Christmas message tells you this. You don't deserve this. You don't deserve this good news. And and, and not only that, but you're you're not good enough. And the very meaning of Christ's birth is that you don't measure up. And I sure don't measure up. And that's why... He left the splendor of heaven. That's why he reduced himself to come into our world and be born of a virgin, of the Virgin Mary, because we didn't deserve it, no matter how much good we had done, and he did it. That's why he came, because he is good, and he lived a sinless, perfect life. Is there an amen in the house today? And not only that, he came to take our place. He came to die the death which we deserved. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. That's why I needed someone to wash my sins away. Uh, Is anybody thankful for the message of grace this morning? Does anybody feel like you're on the list of the least deserving? Well, that would be me for sure. The good news the angel proclaimed to the shepherds is that the greatness of the birth of Christ, it's a message of grace. There's another way I look at that because it's for all people. All people. It wasn't just for the religious elite. It wasn't just for church folks. It wasn't just for uh, you know for, 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 for people who thought they had it all together. The good news of Christ's coming was for those who didn't even think they had a chance. Who in the room thinks I didn't even think I had a chance? I shouldn't have had a chance. And that's what the good news, that's what makes Christmas so great. Actually, Jesus said that very thing later in his life and ministry in Matthew chapter 9. He said, I didn't, I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't leave heaven and all that was there for me. I didn't leave that to come for the righteous. And I certainly didn't come for those who, who have it all together. That's not, that's not what this was all about. That's not the Christmas message. No, I came for sinners, he said. And when I think of that, it reminds me of this statement I've heard, maybe you've heard it, that what should be said of the church, including this one, is this. The church is not to be a museum of saints. It is a hospital for sinners. Where grace is the central reality of what is so great about the birth of Christ. Who believes in grace today? Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we're asking. We're looking through the lens today. What is so great about the birth of Christ? Well, it's the good news of grace. There's a second thing, and that is this. How much time do I have? The greatness of the birth of Christ is the promise of peace. Would you say that for me? Notice, as the angel proclaimed the message to the shepherds, the whole angelic host joined Uh, the heavens in praising God, and they sang that which you said a moment ago, glory to God in the highest. And then what comes next? And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. You know what that says to each of us today? That you need to walk out of here firmly, affixed in your heart, and that is this, the fact that Christ left heaven and came to earth he did it and he brought the promise of peace the promise of peace you know it was uh, isaiah gave that gave us that for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government will rest upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father and the the prince of peace the prince Peace. He's come to bring the promise of peace. I bet if I could sit down with every one of you this afternoon and have, a, have an unfiltered conversation about where you are, how life is going for you, what's taking place inside, and we got past surface stuff, I bet what I would find is that within every one of us, there is a longing for peace. It seems to be the common thread that runs through every human soul. It's the deepest longing of everyone. I just wish I had peace. Peace with one another. Peace in your community. Peace with your family. Peace in, in, in the world. I, I, I want to present to you this morning what I, as I reflect upon this, the best image, the best scenario, image. Uh, that I can present to you today, at least it's the one that comes to my mind that represents peace, is the Garden of Eden. That's how God designed us. That was his plan. It's, it's the environment that God fashioned for us. That's what he wanted. The Garden of Eden is this peaceful picture where everything is right. Everything's in its right place. Everything is at peace in perfect harmony. That was God's plan. That was what he had in mind. And and then God created the heavens and the earth, and then God fills the earth, and he makes man, and out of man he makes woman, and it's all good. And then Adam proclaims, she's flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone, and worship is resounding in this wonderful place as melodies and harmonies abound. And then Genesis chapter 3 comes, and there's discord. And... sin enters the world. And ever since Genesis 3, there has been discord, dissonance, and disconnect. Now, as a musician, I have spent a significant part of my life trying to resolve discord, trying to resolve dissonance, notes that are being played together that shouldn't be played together, and the tension that's created by that. Um, dealing, I've spent a big part of my life dealing with people who are singing out of tune, or someone who's not even singing the right lyric, or, or they're not even on the right measure of the song. I, I've, done, I've done a lot of that. I, I want to give you a, a personal story that took place on this platform. I think it was circa 2005, somewhere in that area, I, I don't remember exactly. <clears throat> we had the it was a grand and glorious time musically as it is today wonderful time we had incredible talent. This choir loft was packed with people and the, lots of orchestra people, an amazing talent like we have today. And, and I, I got up to, uh, I stood on a podium because I'm short, and I stood on, up on a podium to conduct, and we did lots of big, 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 big songs and big endings, and that's what we did <coughs> in, in that day. And it was all wonderful. And um, just before I stepped up to lead a big number, with the choir and orchestra on that day, it was announced from this pulpit that just three nights before, the Thursday night before, um, I had won a Dove Award in Nashville at the Dove Award program for Arranger of the Year for some Christmas work that I had done. and That's all nice and good. And whoever was talking about it was going on and on how how nice it is that our music pastor has won this award. And they, you know, I I was, they didn't have to say that, but they went on and on with all the stuff that they were saying. They finished that. It's time for the choir number. And I stepped up. To lead. Now, here's what I want you to know. Many times, Bethesda, hopefully you didn't see it uh, when I was the music pastor, uh, you know, there are times you have to stand here and things get derailed. Not everybody's in the right place, not everything is happening according to plan. Things happen in our brains and technology, and all kinds of things can happen. And so what you do when you have my position, the ministry of music position, is you find ways to correct, if you can, and get people who've wandered off the path, back onto the path, of where get on the same place where the rest of us are, and so you find, you learn techniques and ways of fixing problems on the fly, as we would say, so that this thing can go on. That morning, right after the grand announcement of the award that I had won three nights before, I started an introduction. And can I just tell you, do you know the term perfect storm, what I mean by that? Everything that could go wrong went wrong. And it went wrong in the, first, in the introduction, the first four to eight measures. Uh, the keyboard player skipped a line on the music and went from here to here. And that threw off everybody else. And they thought they were in the wrong place. So they started jumping around to find and playing stuff that did. And then that threw off somebody else and threw off somebody else. And I'm standing there thinking, this is not salvageable. It cannot, I, I, I can't fix this. The best of whatever I've got to bring is not gonna fix this. And so I did the unthinkable, which had never happened at Bethesda before on this platform that I knew of. I stopped it. Big old thing, I went. And I stepped off the platform. And this collective gasp came over the congregation. <gasps> Couldn't imagine. Now, the part I haven't told you yet is sitting right here in this orchestra pit was a young man playing a saxophone. His name is Shaler Smith. Have you ever heard of Shaler Smith? And on a saxophone, quite often there is a, a microphone near the bell of the horn, and his microphone was on. How many of you know your children, God gives you your children to keep you humble? How many of you know? (laughs) So the introduction happens. It goes completely off the rails. It cannot be fixed and I did the unthinkable the unprecedented, which had never happened before, I stopped it. I stepped off the, pl- off the podium. The gasp came over the people. What followed the gasp was a deafening silence. And in the middle of a deafening silence, with a young man on a saxophone who was close to his microphone, probably not, I want to believe, not aware of it, that anything he was said would be t- thrown out through the whole place. He said, well, there's your Dove award-winning conductor right there. God bless him. (laughs) So anytime anyone wants to mention the devil word that I won, that's what comes to my mind. There's your devil word winning. Is the colossal failure that happened immediately after that. Discord, dissonance, disconnect. It's utterly devastating. But here's what I know. Many of us, that's what it's like to live in this world for you, for many discord happens by the lack of peace and I I want you to know I talk to many of you and I know that some of you say I just wish I had peace because peace lack of peace will take a chunk out of your soul it nibbles little by little and then all of a sudden it feels like it takes this big chunk out of your soul. But I have come here today to simply remind you with the simplicity of my words and a text that you know as well as anybody in the room, that the greatness of the birth of Christ is that it came to you with a promise of peace. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it is a peace that is in two ways. Yes, it's peace with God. It's vertical. Yes, But most folks only can relate to the idea of peace horizontally, peace with our families, peace at your job, peace in your community, peace in the world, and that is a part of the promise. But this promise is based upon the premise of this promise. You can have this kind of peace because God has come with his promise of peace to you. You see, the root of sin, we've talked about this in so many other ways, But the root of sin is that the melody of peace with God in your heart has been broken and broken by sin. That's what happens. That's the root of it. That melody which should be, there's within my heart a melody, Jesus whispers sweet and low, some of us used to sing. That melody that should be resounding within your soul, it has been been broken by our sin the melody of peace. And we need that melody with all of its subsequent harmonies to be fully functioning and fully resounding in the life that God has designed for us. And the message of grace given to us at the birth of Christ this season is this, even the least deserving, with all the least deserving, please raise your hand, all the least deserving Even the least deserving, I'm going to say especially the least deserving, are brought to peace with God because of what we read that today in the city of David, a Savior is born and he is Christ the Lord. Somebody say hallelujah. This promise of peace, both peace with God and peace with one another, is part of what is so great about Christmas, so great about His coming. and I, I, as, as you get closer and closer to Christmas Day and whatever that will hold for you, I, I'm just praying as your pastor that you'll hang on tightly to the fact that the coming of Christ means that you have the, the promise of peace, it means you have the promise of peace in your own soul and the promise of peace on, on your job. You even have the promise of peace with family members that you're gonna have to be with at the holiday season. And this promise of peace he has given to you means that in the peace of your relationship with God, which you received at the moment of your salvation, God is able then also to take that peace and he's able to work out that peace horizontally. Now it starts with us being the forgiving kind of people that Jesus taught us to be by his work on the cross. But I gotta be honest with you today, I can't just leave it there. No matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, we still will experience discord and disconnect in this world and peace just doesn't seem to happen. There are gonna be moments in life where the perfect storm happens. There are gonna be those times when the introduction is being played to the next song of your life and it's going completely off the tracks. It is not salvageable and you gotta stand up and say, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, gotta stop this. That's going to happen. But can I tell you, if that's where you are today, that is what leads us to hope. That is what leads you to hope. Part of the greatness of the birth of Christ is the hope that we have that one day Christ will establish his reign here on this earth as the perfect prince of peace. And oh, do we long for that day. Amen. Amen. Most of us have heard the name. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, you probably studied his writings in school, but you may not know this part of his story, came from Cambridge, Massachusetts, Um, lived on Brattle Street. In 1861, he experienced a terrible tragedy. His wife's dress somehow caught on fire and she literally burned to death. In his attempt to save her, he was also severely burned, particularly his face, and he later grew a beard as best he could to try to cover those scars. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow dealt with mental and emotional turmoil for much of the remainder of his life. So then on top of that, in March of 1863 his son, Charles, left their home on Brattle Street and went to fight in the Civil War. That was March of 1863. In that same year, in December of 1863, Longfellow received the message that his son, Charles, had been shot while in battle in the war. So they put the young man on a train, whereupon at some location his father met him and, and they met up, literally it was Christmas week. Longfellow was told as he's surveying the situation with his son and the damage that's been done by him being shot, uh, he was told that his son will be paralyzed the rest of his life. Now, it was, it was that Christmas, that Christmas of 1863 that Wadsworth, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, Goodwill to men. Now in the middle of this happy, lovely carol, there's this next verse, which I've sung, and maybe you have too. And in despair, now do you get it? You know why? Wife, son? And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong, and it mocks the song of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. And then he turns it around, so often as we see the psalmist David doing. Longfellow says, then peel the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth. Good will to men. We have sung this, or at least known of this Christmas carol for many years. And what Longfellow grasped on that day in the midst of the heartbreak of his life circumstances was I have a promise of peace. I have a promise of peace. Peace in the midst of a storm. Peace in the midst of difficult circumstances. I I, I hold within me A promise of peace. And can I just say to you today, I don't know if you value this as much as I do. I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit dwells within and lives inside. And with him comes the comfort that we need. He's our helper. He is everything that we, he's our nourishment. He's our strength. And within what is given to us that is inside of you today, and what I emphasize that is to make sure you know nothing and no one can take it away from you. Nothing can rob you of the promise of peace. It cannot be taken away by anybody or anything. Somebody say hallelujah for that today. You have a promise of peace, and we can experience the peace of a relationship with God, and part of that promise is to live with hope, the hope that one day Jesus will establish his perfect peace, and that gives us joy. As we look at this passage with the shepherds here in the Gospel of Luke and the resounding expression of this moment is an expression of joy. It's an expression of rejoicing. So as we consider this idea of what's so great about Christmas, I just want to conclude by saying this, the final one. The greatness of the birth of Christ is the joy of hope. Would you say that with me? A thrill of hope we sing. A weary world rejoices. And church, listen to me carefully. The thrill of hope is that in the middle of weariness, for whatever for whatever reason, heart, mind, soul, spirit, emotions, body, physical body, the thrill of hope is that in the middle of your weariness, and dare I say in the middle of a pandemic, you can still have joy. It's been placed inside of you because that's why Jesus came. He came and infused and placed, installed, downloaded, whatever you want to use, it's something inside of you that the world can't take it, the world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. It is inside of you. Joy is grounded in hope, confident expectation that God will fulfill his promise. God will be true to his word. Therefore, your joy is not dependent upon your circumstances. Quit it. Stop it. Stop looking for your circumstances to dictate your joy. It's not going to happen that way. That's not the source and the reason for your joy. Because our circumstances are wearisome. Most of us, the stuff we're facing is draining you. It's just taking a taking chunk out of your soul. It's, it's taking all kinds of stuff. And, and, and so circumstances are wearisome. I'm going to give you a statement that I've kind of fallen onto. And it describes me and I'm gonna bet it describes lots of us in the room today as you are in this season, particularly as we come to the end of 2020 and, and the challenge that we've had in, in this year. Uh, and the sentence is this if anybody says, How are you doing? You know, we would, well, fine. And often you don't mean it. How are you doing? Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? I'm gonna give you a good answer. You know what? If I wanna be really honest, it's this I'm weary. But joyful. And what you're saying in that is I stand in the blessed confident hope that God has not left me and he is going to be with me through every circumstance. I am weary. Yes, times have been tough. And sometimes that's what they're looking for when they ask you that. They're looking to, to see, are you, you know, are, has the, I know that what you've gone through, has it taken its And yeah, they want to hear your sad story, maybe, but you say, I'm weary, but I'm joyful. It is this hope, it's confident expectation in God's promises. For the angel said, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Let me tell you something about hope. I'm going to wrap this up in a minute. Just hang tight just for a minute. Hope is what moves us. From great fear, which the shepherds expressed in the presence of God when the God's glory came on that field. Hope is what moves us from great fear to great joy. Great joy, which we can certainly have in the presence of God. And that is grounded in grace and the promise of peace. This joy of hope is what is so great about Christmas joy of hope is what tunes our hearts to the chorus of heaven so what do the shepherds do after they hear all this so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven but the shepherds said to one another let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger and when they'd seen him They made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds but mary she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising god for all the things that they had heard and seen as was told wow that's interesting then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising god for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was t- Do you see what just happened here? Shepherds went from the least of these in a field, doing the lowest of all menial tasks. They went from that to being in nobodies in a field, to being worshipers, joining the chorus of the angels of heaven. They returned to the field, glorifying God and worshiping Him, why? Because God was true to his word. This is the hope. This is the joy of Christmas, that God is true to his word. He he has always been true to his word. He always will be true to his word, and it is applicable for you today. Blessed be the Lord. Why don't you stand with me, please? I just have to ask, everyone, just stay where you are just for a moment. I'm going to dismiss in just a minute, please. There may be somebody either in the room or online who says, Pastor Dan, I, um, I've really never received that gift, uh, and, I, and I wanna invite you to do it this morning. And so uh, you pray it any way that you wanna pray it, but here's a good sample. Lord, I don't measure up. I feel like I'm the least of these. I haven't even done too good on the do good, feel good, believe in good thing. I have, uh, and I need to be saved from the discord, the dissonance, and the disconnect of the broken peace with God that I feel within me. And I'm gonna to choose today to believe that Jesus came and left heaven for even somebody like me. I, I don't qualify. There's a lot of other people I could point to that should qualify before me. I shouldn't, but I'm gonna believe that that's why Christ left heaven and came for me. And through the cross I can, uh, and his resurrection, I can, I can have hope. And I wanna live my life today in that kind of rejoicing. I know it may be wearisome at times, but I believe it can be full of joy. So Father, I pray for those today in the quiet of their own hearts who are responding to you and to your Holy Spirit through the weakness of my words. I pray, O God, that you will open hearts today, that this Christmas season may be the first time they've really understood what it is to have the joy of hope and understand how wonderful Christmas is. So I pray for your divine work of transforming power to take place in their lives in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said hallelujah. Let's sing it.